and welcome back to Shop Scratch. You're listening to episode 85, Everyone Has an Accent. This is a podcast brought to you by the BMJ and sponsored by Medical Protection, where medical students, junior doctors and expert guests come together and discuss all the things you need to know to be a good doctor but that you might not get taught at medical school. I'm Charlotte and I'm currently working at the BMJ as the editorial scholar, looking after all the content that BMJ student will be producing this year. I'm also a medical student at the University of Oxford, but I'm currently taking a break to work at the BMJ. And so today we're joined by our panellists, Judy and Coyote. Would you like to introduce yourselves? Hi, my name is Judy. I'm a third year medical student at the University of Celestia. Hello, I'm Coyote. I am a foundation doctor in South Thames Deanery, formerly a medical student in Dundee, the sunniest <laughs> city in Scotland. I feel like I, I feel like that's my thing. I need to say it at all times. Otherwise, yeah, who am that. I? <laughs> it's great to have you guys with us. Um, and I'd also like to welcome our expert guest today, Lisa. Could you tell us a bit about yourself and also a bit about your own podcast? Yes, my name is Lisa Casey. I'm uh, an assistant principal in a secondary school in London uh, as the day job. But the reason I'm here uh, is because I'm one of the hosts of Lexis podcast, uh, which is a podcast that's all about linguistics. Um, we cover all sorts of different aspects of linguistics that are interesting for students of A-level English language and their teachers, but also undergraduates and master's students but also the average person with a passing interest in language and how it works. I think that's how you found us, Charlotte, (laughs) if I remember rightly. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. A good recommendation from my old English teacher. Um, Well, (laughs) thanks so much for joining us, everyone. Um, I'm super excited to have you all with us today. So I recently read an article about accents in healthcare and one of the quotes said, talk is always a performance in context, especially in professional situations such as the consultation and institutional ones, the assessment of professional skills and competence. So in this episode, we'll find out what an accent actually is. We'll discuss how our regional accents have changed whilst we've been at university. And we'll also examine the judgment that can arise when you speak in a different accent to what someone else is used to. So yeah, to kick it off, um, Lisa, this is kind of a big question, but what actually is an accent? What's a dialect and what's the difference? Um, I guess in the simplest terms, when we're talking about accent, we're talking about the way that people pronounce their words, about the way that they actually say them when they come out of their mouths. Um, So where I'm from, uh, which is in South Wales, we say bath for example, with an ah sound in the middle. But if I was from the Midlands, I might say bath with an R in the middle, even though the word itself is the same, the sounds that come out are slightly different. And when we talk about accent, that's that's really what we're talking about, um, is those sounds and sound production. Uh, when we talk about dialect, that's a slightly bigger word. It covers pronunciation and, the, and how words sound when they come out, but it also covers things like your word choices or your lexicon. Um, and it can cover things like grammar or your grammatical choices. We may have phrases like, um, I'll do it now later, where I'm from. Um, And Charlotte is laughing with recognition there because I know you're from Barry, so you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, Whereas lots of people from other places will have no idea how you can do something now later. Whereas for us, um, it makes perfect sense. Um, So that's that's an an example of a grammatical construction that doesn't make coherent sense to people outside, but is part of how the dialect works where I come from. So really broadly speaking, accent is pronunciation, but dialect is, yes, pronunciation, but also word choices and grammatical choices as well. 
I would just like to say, as a Nigerian, I, that completely made sense to me because we have a similar saying. We like we say stuff like "come and be going." Like, how does yeah. that make any sense? Like, so, we, so and what does that I, mean I get for it. you? Like, let's go. <laughs> let's go to where. Like, come and be going. Yeah, it doesn't really make any sense, but it makes yeah. sense to me. I'm sure it makes sense to Judy as well. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's super interesting and it's really helpful, I think, to start off by like clarifying what an accent is and what a dialect is. And a lot of people who have a strong regional accent or dialect or like use a regional dialect might find that changing quite a bit when they get to university. So as we said earlier, I'm from Barry, so I think people kind of expect me to sound a little bit like Stacey from Gavin and Stacey, but they kind of got that a bit wrong. I don't think oh, people... Oh, kidding? <laughs> <laughs> I kind of don't think people sound like that from Barry, but um, yeah, I don't know. I just think it's really interesting because my accent definitely changed when I got to university and I was like, like if I went home for the holiday, I'd come back and I'd sound too Welsh and then... I'd like go back to Barry after being in Oxford and I'd sound too posh. So it's really interesting how you like end up stuck between these two things. And I just wondered, Coyote and Judy, did you find that your accents changed at all when you left for medical school? So my accent, um, I feel like it stayed fairly much the same. Um, my accent to begin with was quite difficult to pinpoint. Um, I remember when I got to uni, people would always confuse what my accent was. Was it American or Canadian? Um, sometimes I would get Caribbean, which was very unusual for me. Um, but um, I'm from I'm from Nigeria originally, but I grew up in Ireland. So my dominant accent, I would say, is Irish. Um, but you usually you can't hear that unless I'm saying certain words, um, usually <laughs> words that have the letter or in them. Um, and when I came to university, I didn't really, I didn't really feel the need to change my accent because it was already quite a blank slate. Um, but um, when I actually, when I got my siblings to listen to the first podcast uh, episode that I was in, they said to me, they said, wow, you sound so British. Um, and I would never have pinpointed that or really taught that. Um, and I, I found that quite funny. But um, I didn't really make any conscious efforts to try and change my accent. But I think um, just subconsciously certain words that I would say or certain phrases or even just like dialect, um, some of the slang I would use would become very much British. Lisa, do you think there's kind of specific accents that people will like gravitate to more than others? The UK doesn't have an accent, a single one. We have loads and loads and loads of regional varieties. Um, and most of those depend on where you're from or where you're living. Um, and so you will sound different depending on where you grew up or where you currently live uh, and how long you've been there and a mixture of all of those things together. Um, however, there is there is one accent that externally outside and to some extent inside is considered to be a standard accent and is called by some a standard accent and that's called received pronunciation uh, and it's the sort of accent that when you switch on the news you're most likely to hear out of your news readers if you buy an audio book and the voice that is reading it is most likely to be um in received pronunciation or RP as it's called and traditionally speaking that is a non-geographically specific 
accent. It doesn't bear any markers of a particular place. Uh, instead, it's what linguists call a social accent. Uh, and there are lots and lots of studies that have that have shown that it is it is a sort of normalized version of what people consider to be sounding british or sounding english even though we actually have loads and loads and loads of english accents and welsh accents and scottish accents from all around the uk just thinking about like myself and my own experiences so like similar to judy i was born in nigeria and i moved here pretty much just for secondary school and I just always my, my accent has always just been very very generic England shire that's what <laughs> I call it now but like Lisa was saying it all just depends on where I am and who I'm talking to I, I have noticed that I've, I've I've now got a bit more Scottishisms in when I'm speaking especially when I'm talking about food um, that's <laughs> like one of the yeah food um, when I'm ordering food like my my accent goes a bit more Scottish because like that's a thing I did a lot in Scotland and at work my accent is a bit more Scottish because that's how I learned medicine I learned medicine from Scottish people and I spoke all my patients well most of my patients I've met so far in my career have been Scottish mm -hmm. so coming back down to Englandshire and working in <laughs> Englandshire and having to speak to English people when they say things I'm a little bit confused I'm, I'm just like sorry what and it takes it takes a little while for for, for that translation to happen in my head because the words are completely different and that's just all made sense to me but now being in in the south it's like all oh, right i need to get used to these words now in a clinical context and what it means like things like taking a pain history is not the same in Dundee and in London. It's completely different. Mm. I'm imagining they've got quite different words for different types of pains, and that's and that for different types of pain. Yeah. Like there's 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 quite a few kind of localized dialect studies that show that there's huge amount of variety for really particular sets of words or lexical sets as we call them linguistically. Um, words connected with pain is one of them. Uh, words connected with food is another, as you've already said um and some of them are really specific like the like the word for a splinter is really really different depending on where you come in the uk <laughs> where you come from in the uk uh, and different types of pains different types of aches or being able to describe pain is, is another one that has huge variety behind it i thought it was interesting as well when we were all talking about how our accents might have like shifted or how we perceive our accents we all kind of said something along the lines of like blank slate or muted or like mm. you know fairly standard or normal and all these words kind of describing this kind of English accent I guess like what you were talking about Lisa yeah. I don't know it's just quite interesting uh, and that's again that's really common so this idea of sort of a normalized standard version of what English is 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 what RP is frequently perceived as and there's a social psychologist called Howard Giles who carried out um, what's now considered a really seminal study in the 1970s initially although the work from it has carried on where he 
used a model called a matched guise technique. I don't know if you have anything like this in medicine, uh, but it's essentially a way of getting at people's opinions about a subject without a- without asking them outright. Um, but he had the same the same person actually read out the same information, but in different accents. And he had people listen to the audio of it and then rate the different accents across a number of different characteristics. Uh, and what that would allow him to do, of course, is filter out all of the things like gender or age or, or any of the other kind of variables and just get to the heart of what people thought about the actual accents themselves. Um, and essentially what he found was that RP, this this notionalized, normalized idea of what of what is a sort of center ground English accent across the British public, regardless of where they themselves were from, rated really highly for things like intelligence and competence and confidence and level of education. But the other accents that were geographically located, and particularly urban accents like Liverpudlian, Brummy, Cockney accents uh, and things like that tended to rate much, much lower on things like intelligence and education and competence, but they tended to rate much more highly on things like friendliness or sincerity or compassion in a way that RP didn't. So it's now sort of 50 years or so since the original study happened. And by and large, our attitudes to accents are sort of the same, which essentially means that if you speak RP, then you are more likely to be rated or perceived to be by the listener as competent and intelligent and well-educated. It's crazy, really. Like, (laughs) so it makes a lot of sense, I think, when we're all talking about this kind of mutedness or how our, you know, how we perceive our accents that we're talking about it in this way, because clearly that's the way that a lot of people perceive them. And we talked before about how, like, in a healthcare setting, if you were, like, delivering a conference to, like, a large group of people, you might want to be talking, like, more in, like, a RP kind of accent, but then if you're a GP, you might want to be retaining your regional accent to kind of build that closeness and like make that like create that feeling of warmth and friendliness. And we'll discuss a little bit more about our accents and the ways we think about our identity. But that'll be right after this message from our sponsor. Indemnity. You've probably not given it much thought, but it won't be long until the risk of claims and patient complaints becomes all too real. Whatever lies ahead, you need experts in your corner who offer indemnity and a whole lot more. That's why it pays to be with Medical Protection. There's our free membership during your medical school years, our wealth of training resources to help you become the best doctor you can be, and our international experience that protects you during your elective no matter how far from home you end up. In fact, there are many reasons why our members worldwide trust us to support and protect them throughout their careers. And if you're looking for one more, Every week, one lucky new joiner wins £200. That's the average student weekly spend. Just join for free and you're automatically entered into the draw. That's why UK medical students choose to be part of medical protection. You can't blame them, so why not join them? Visit medicalprotection.org to find out more. Okay, back to the show. 
I mean, all of that, that's, that's all well and good about what Giles found, but it, does, it doesn't really speak to kind of your sense of your own identity as a person. Uh, the fact is that accent is often, you know, really, really closely tied up for us with notions of self and family and home uh, and selfhood. So when we, when we shed some of the markers of like our home accent or our home way of speaking, uh, and we do have those, they're called family lects um, or our own way of speaking, our idiolect. Um, then it then it can have really strong impacts on our sense of ourself, um, and and that is another sort of little branch of study that, that's been looked into quite a lot. Um, that you replicate your family's sounds when you're close to them. It's a way of feeling close to them, um, and that when you are physically further away from them, perhaps in a more professional context, or perhaps at university, or in a consultation, as you said. Um, then you may shed some of those features and get closer to the person that you're talking to. Um, and I'm wondering how you feel about that. Yeah, that's definitely something that's happened to me quite a lot. It's difficult to pinpoint why you find that hard other than to refer to the kind of family and like that feeling of closeness to home. Um, yeah, Judy, Cody, is that something that you kind of relate to? Just thinking about it about it now, um, I've realised I don't think I have the same connection to my accents or the way that I speak um, because I was growing up in a different environment where we spoke in a different way and in a different language. So then when I moved abroad um, to Ireland and I started learning English and I started speaking more English, I didn't feel much of a tie to the specific type of accent that I was using um, and in my house and in my home we spoke two languages and I've also been I've also moved around a lot um, so I lived in the UK for quite some time at the moment I live in Poland I, I've lived in Nigeria so when I think about accents and um, speaking and dialects I think for me personally the most important thing is communication and being understood by other people so I know, I, 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 like from speaking to like my other like South London um, black friends and stuff, like we're all like quite comfortable with code switching. I, and I, I just think like for me, it's just about being understood. I wouldn't say I intentionally code switch, but I do catch myself sometimes. So I had a recent um, set of nights um, on call for like the medical team and I noticed my my work voice changed slightly but it's just I, I think you just mirror the people that you're around someone said it's a, it's a sign of empathy so I'm going to go with that <laughs> it's really interesting you say because there's there is a word for that it's a pretty well documented sort of idea that's called accommodation theory and that's kind of an umbrella term for this really big idea that when we are speaking to people our aim is social connection. And so what we will do to connect socially with the people that we are speaking to is we will um, change our manner of talk to be closer to the people that we are speaking with. And when I say manner of talk, it might be our pronunciation. It might be the way that we literally say our words and the sounds of our words. It might be the words themselves. We may pick up words that they are using and use them with them. Um, so when we move closer to other people and we echo them in their manner of talk, that's called convergence. Uh, we converge closer to their manner of talk to replicate social closeness. This is really bad. 
I, th- I feel like my mind is so medical right now. I was just thinking, accommodation <laughs> reflex. My head was just going, ophthalmology, ophthalmology. Well, we could, t- we could talk about why you're doing that psycholinguistically, but I don't feel like that's the topic of the podcast today. Um, but yeah, I like the kind of converging to like a norm I definitely think is something that happens like well across loads of different social settings but definitely happens a lot in medicine I think if everybody's speaking in the same way there's just such a natural urge to speak in the same way and not be singled as like the odd one out but yeah it's just interesting that we think about our accents as part of that and think about our accents as something that we have to change in order to fit in like why why are we trying to do that I guess um and Lisa when we spoke before we talked about how like RP is um like not actually that commonly used but you'd be forgiven for thinking otherwise in like settings like um like like medicine or I suppose like politics and things like that um as far as as far as kind of the the studies show RP speakers are in a tiny tiny minority in the UK. Uh, It's perceived as a sort of normalised generic accent, but the number of people that are sort of native speakers of RP is believed to be, you know, something like 5% of the UK. Like it's a tiny, tiny minority because it's not, because it's not local to a place. Um, But it is an accent that people may adopt if they want to take upon themselves those attributes that are commonly associated with it. So if you want to sound more intelligent or more competent or more, uh, you know, those other things we've said, then it is an accent that you can sort of adopt as a means of, of supposedly demonstrating that to the public. And of course, it doesn't mean that you are any, any of those things. <laughs> it's just the way that it's just the way that the accent and the sound production is, is perceived. Um, and the converse is true, you know, being being a brummy it does does not make you does not make you any less intelligent or or any less competent or any less confident at your job and yet it's the public perception um that seems to remain um which seems which seems grossly unfair um to our lovely friends from Birmingham uh, or from Leeds or from Yorkshire or from any or from any other you know place yeah I agree it is really unfair and it's kind of like strange how we've got to this point where that's kind of like what we assume or what we accept as being normal um and yeah I think like a lot of people within say like the NHS or in other kinds of fields would say they don't really have an accent so then if you're the one who's speaking with a different accent then you're kind of singling yourself out but all of this is based on these fixed perceptions and stereotypes that you just mentioned which all seems really outdated um yeah so then I guess you're kind of constantly changing yourself to try and fit a mold um like I don't think I have a very strong accent at all now really um and I think I only sound very Welsh when I'm sort of less in control like if I'm really angry if I'm really excited about something um but then that makes me think am I trying to suppress that accent in a professional setting um which if I am, that's really strange because no accent should be more professional than another. But um, I guess you're always just trying to fit in with the majority, like wherever you are. 
a lot of the stuff that we've talked about today you don't actually think about it consciously a lot of it is unconscious this idea of of accommodating converging towards people diverging away from them you're not really thinking about the process it's just sort of something that happens uh, and we've developed the theories to explain what's happening uh, rather than the other way around um you'd be surprised how many average people you could ask who say I don't have an accent and the fact is everybody has an accent literally everybody has one um, and yet most people don't think that they do yeah I, I, I think I think everyone should try and keep their own accents and just aim to be understood rather than trying to um, be as posh <laughs> as possible because I think working in working in schools especially when you when, I, when I've been working with like kids or working in summer programs and stuff working um, with people trying to do presentations and you just see Johnny from Croydon who speaks like someone from Croydon suddenly get on stage and try to do a posh accent and it's like bro please don't you don't need to change the way you say the words yeah it's a that's a really tricky one actually because in in principle i think probably everyone here would would definitely agree i think part of the problem is that the prejudice against accents is so strong in some cases that there are sort of real world consequences for having particular sorts of accents so when we dig when we dig into the why that sits behind giles's findings if we think about what is the upshot of us perceiving people who speak rp as being more intelligent or more competent the upshot is that people with rp accents are more likely to get jobs than people who don't um and i know that sounds a bit blunt and, and it is a little blunt but that's also that that's also the fact of things for some people so we get so we get companies trying to sell kind of accent reduction schemes um and we've talked quite a bit here about accents being geographically kind of related but of course they also have connotations of class of wealth of ethnicity and if those kind of connotations are connected with regional things then they all inter you know interlock and overlap to keep very particular people out of other social situations where they considered to not fit or to or to kind of not not give the sort of impression that people want them to give uh, especially in public facing roles so there are there are real life consequences and i absolutely am with you i advocate for more education about accents more pride in accents definitely but that won't necessarily change the underlying biases that 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 mm. exist because they they do and and they can exist in really quite unpleasant ways as well yeah and you mentioned like public facing roles then and like in terms of healthcare I definitely think like if everybody is trying to speak in this very similar way and I like what you just mentioned about class there as well like there is this perception of the doctor as a very you know kind of I don't know I guess like middle class white man is the kind of old school perception of what a doctor is I don't know I think that changes how how you speak in medicine probably and and in lots of other kind of professional public facing roles um so that that was that was like my um my fear of moving back down south it's like oh my god people are just gonna be like ridiculously posh and like oh yes like the entire time but i've only met one person like that and he was absolutely lovely to be fair so 
well it's not as bad as i imagined it to be um i think most people even me being down south i've I've heard i've heard a few regional accents at work which is good i feel very very blessed in that respect where my hospital is just so diverse in the way people speak and where people have come from um like have a lot of um doctors from eastern europe a lot of italians mm. a lot of arab people yeah um lots of people from regional places in england as well which yeah l- like rather than trying to force everyone into like that tiny little box of yeah um aggressively poshness and can i ask you to clarify what you mean by <laughs> aggressively posh like the hugh grant's <laughs> like um rom-com <laughs> like uh yeah i mean that's um, that's rp that's that's basically what that is um and it's a uh, i mean you you kind of intimated there that it's sort of a, a bumbling <laughs> sort of uh <laughs> yeah sort of, sort of means of communication except of course that's also Boris Johnson. Like that's that man was our prime minister. That kind of means and mode of oper- of 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 speaking and communicating is not specific to actors. Actors who have it f- frequent huge numbers of roles. The reason that we think that it's normalised is because for you know the first maybe thirty or forty years of the BBC, it was the only accent that was on there. They didn't have any regional varieties. It's also, and again, there's been there's been lots of studies about this, uh, why Americans think of it as kind of the standard, because lots and lots of villains in movies have that mm. accent. So, the, you know, as assuming that your average, your average UK person doesn't meet many people from other parts of the UK that often, all they have is the representations of those areas. So it's a it's a really interesting one because it, because it is it's conceptualized rather than actual. Yeah, it's really interesting actually how the kind of judgments we make about accents and dialects um, are all kind of dictated by the media we're exposed to and the kind of like yeah, just all the stereotypes behind it. Um, but yeah, I thought we could kind of come back to talking about how your accent might change when you're practicing medicine because of all of these stereotypes. Um, But that'll be right after this advert. I'm Dr. Matt Morgan, and alongside working as an intensive care consultant, I work as part of the BMJ on examination team to support you in passing your medical exams. You can get access to our personalized revision resource online and in our app for years one to three, totally free, as well as a huge 40% discount on our medical student finals product. We'll help you pass your exams by making sure to maximize the best use of your time. We'll deliver you the most important questions, keep you on track with daily reminders, and give you feedback to show how you're performing. We're committed to making revision easy so start your journey to passing first time today by visiting onexamination.com to sign up or by downloading the On Examination app. Okay, back to the show. Super interesting. Um, and I thought if we just do five minutes on healthcare, because I've realised I find accents so cool that we haven't actually talked very much about healthcare <laughs> in a podcast for med students. So Judy, do you want to tell the 
the thing you were telling me about, about the Oscars and stuff. Yeah, so um, I was reading an article that, um, I think it was research uh, that came out in 2020, and the basis of the research was trying to understand whether um, having a non-UK accent versus having a sort of more uh, UK accent was an advantage in your OSCEs or if there was any differences in how you would be scored by examiners. Um, and this was, I think this is the first type of study of its type. Um, and their conclusion was that it, there wasn't really much of a difference um, in terms of how the ex um, examiners scored candidates. Um, it was a small study. Um, and the reason that they sort of set about to do the study was because of anecdotal sort of experiences where people have talked about um, perhaps based on their accents, the communication sections of the OSCEs, um, they felt that they weren't being scored as highly because their accent wasn't being um, understood. Um, and I found this really interesting because it sort of talks about sort of the familiarity bias that comes up when we're talking about accents and regional accents um, and also the sort of likelihood of that impacting in other areas of our lives such as education and opportunities and things to do with class um but yeah I think that's really interesting and we were talking before we came on the call as well Judy about how whether maybe people are like toning back their accents in that setting to avoid being judged differently on their communication styles which I think everybody has a professional voice you know like people laugh about people's phone voices and stuff like that but um I wonder whether that all kind of comes into it <laughs> I I think it definitely does I, I think anecdotal evidence is important um like I know in multiple medical schools not just the medical medical school I went to there is a stark difference in um OSCE scores for international students and students who grew up in the UK whatever the reason is mm -hmm. doesn't really matter but that but that difference does exist and lots of medical schools are doing lots of different things to try combat that so I know St Andrews University for example they video their OSCE stations so if a student isn't happy with their score and they think they can they can have their OSCE remarked because it's been filmed mm. It certainly, um, it certainly seems so I, to run counter yeah. to what lots of the research shows about accent and about, and about perception <laughs> right. of accents, which is essentially that accent prejudice exists and that it's very real. So that when we're listening to people and how they speak, we are making judgments about them. But those accents and those and those ways of me of being and those ways of communicating are frequently proxies for talking about people's intelligence or people's educational background or people's class or people's race or people's genders or people's sexualities or various other kind of social factors that we measure people on. Um, we did a really really wonderful uh, interview on on our on our podcast one with a psycholinguist from uh, America who's looking at race and racial perception and her you know brilliantly scientific study that involved kind of little suckers put on people's brains and things while they were listening to speakers showed that we categorize speakers into different social categories so things like age categories gender categories class categories in under a second 
in under a second from when they speak. Uh, and then we've got these much bigger kind of social studies like Giles's one, which, as I said, has been replicated across kind of 50 odd years and all shows the same things, which is that accent prejudice is is very, very real and has and has kind of real world consequences for people. I'd be very curious uh, as well to hear who was running the study, whether they had any linguistic background, but also who the examiners are, because um, there's an assumption, there's a working assumption there that examiners are a very particular type of pair of years that they are that they are hearing something in a very particular way and the fact is depending on who they are in the same way that every single one of us on this call has a different background that we bring to this podcast every examiner for the oskies will bring a background to uh, listening to to junior or medical um junior doctors or medical students as well so i'd be curious to hear who who it was that was doing the examining also just in terms um in terms of like accents um and the biases for that we can sometimes perceive from accents. I was just, I was just wondering, in the medical curriculum, is has there been any implicit bias training or just anything similar to that? Have you guys sort of experienced that? I don't think I have. I had some uh, implicit bias training recently as part of this job with the BMJ, but I don't think I've had any in med school I'm trying to think now I don't want to say that I haven't when I have but I really don't think I have (laughs) so yeah I'm not sure but yeah Coyote what about you well this is my area of of (laughs) expertise and um, it all depends on who is doing the training I know lots of medical schools are um trying to focus on implicit bias and doing all this wonderful training so i found it really interesting that one of lisa's first questions was oh did they have anyone with linguistics training involved in this um studying and i think that's really important um i think too often in medicine and medical research specifically i think medics we think we can do everything but we can't and we need to like put some respect on experts names yeah you've read it but you know kind of making a conclusion from just reading one paper is not probably not the best idea and more research into that area would definitely be needed do you think it changes how you interact with a patient when they have a similar accent to you i definitely noticed it when i was in dundee because whenever I, whenever I, I encountered uh, an English person whilst I was on place, I was like, oh, you're from England too. Um, and that, that, that was the sort of reaction I got when I was in Dundee. Um, down here, I think I was talking to, I was talking to you um, earlier about this. I've noticed um, my way of doing consultations is slightly different to other people's. It's kind of like in Dundee when you're in medical school, you just say we a lot it's like oh yeah i'm just gonna, i'm just i'm just gonna have a wee fill of your tummy now like so i, I i'm just used to saying we a lot when i'm doing in in clinical situations because that makes me sound more personable and that is just like a standard thing that people say in dundee but now that i've come to um come back down south like it is a bit odd hearing we come out from a very english person's mouth speaking to another english person and i do get sometimes just get a look because like Oh yeah, I, I did. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just yeah. 
I'll say that for me, that's the big impact. Yeah, that's interesting. Judy, what about you? Have, has anything like that kind of struck you or does it change how you interact with your patients when you notice their accent? Or Yes, um, definitely. I feel like if I come across a patient that has an Irish accent, there's this sort of instant, oh, like we have something in common and it makes interactions with the patients and sort of building that familiarity much easier and even now um, because I live in Poland when I do go back to the UK and I'm working um, in the hospital or anything like that um, and I come across someone that's Polish there's also that kind of familiarity and you kind of recognize like oh you're from Poland I, I studied there so I definitely think it does help with making links and making the connections with um, patients yeah definitely and it always seems to like then start a whole conversation like it's fairly rare that I come across people who have a quite strong Welsh accent in Oxford but when I do it's always like oh like where are you from and you know it just like leads into a bigger conversation I think it probably does help with the kind of patient doctor relationship which then makes it seem even stranger that we unconsciously lose the accent in a professional setting I guess or like modify it a bit mm. so the there's a I, I don't know if you really have a look at tabloid newspapers but they but they'd like to quite quite frequently or periodically run um accent ranking exercises with their readers so you may find uh we asked our readers what the top 10 sexiest accents in britain uh type type polls uh which are which are which are grotesquely unscientific i might add uh but run anyway and of course run and are are sort of eaten up by (laughs) by the readers um and they and they frequently kind of cite uh, both Welsh and Irish, interestingly, as be as rating really highly in attractiveness. Uh, so you can benefit in really positive <laughs> ways from some accent discrimination, um, but, but not always. Yeah, no, it is really interesting. Um, and then yeah, as well, just the the only other kind of thought I had was like do you think it's positive for patients to see doctors or like hear doctors who sound like them like if we're kind of talking about all this stuff on like BBC of like you know years of it always being people with the exact same accent it probably is quite important that people like retain their accents in a professional setting yeah I think um I definitely agree that it is important for patients to sort of see um, doctors that have the same sort of accent system because um, like we were talking about before when we do come across people who speak similarly to us there is this sort of tendency to be more open and sort of be able to express yourself more Um, and I find that it would be such a shame if sort of in the profession everyone was speaking the same way and there was no variation and no differences Um, because from the differences we kind of have the advantage of being able to make connections with people who might feel a little bit not as well understood. I agree I think representation matters I think um, having that familiarity um, instantly breaks down barriers and people are more likely to like open up and say things like say things to you because they're more comfortable around you i think i I think lisa was mentioning it earlier um when people's accents and way and a way of speaking converges is because there's a closeness associated with it so when you hear someone that sounds like you 
you automatically get that closeness and familiarity so you are more likely to um tell them your deep dark secrets (laughs) dark secrets but yeah like say say things to them that you wouldn't normally say to other people that you weren't so familiar with Mm. um especially in in medical settings i i think just to kind of add to what kaide um was saying in terms of seeing someone who has a similar accent to you and sort of being able to build that connection i think even seeing someone that doesn't have a like the same accent as you but does have a different accent or something that makes them quite different to the rest of the people in that um, specific environment can be helpful for patients because even though it doesn't particularly say to them, oh, well, um, we're the same, you can trust me, it does say something about this is an environment that makes space for people that are different. Um, so it just, I find that would be, I think that's something that's quite helpful as well. There's, there's definitely lots lots of evidence to suggest as well that marking yourself out of as a doctor, as somebody who is not just like their best friend, <laughs> Uh, comes from the way that you that you use your language as well. So this is moving away from accent a little bit and a bit more into dialect. But if you are using words that are associated with medicine, then then that idea of trust is more likely to be built. They want to know that you know what you're talking about. The way that you demonstrate that you are in fact a doctor rather than just somebody in a white coat um, is by demonstrating that knowledge to them. So, so there's probably a line to be trodden between sort of I am open I, I, I'm listening to you as a person um, but also I'm demonstrating that I have this medical knowledge um, which means that I'm going to be able to treat you effectively and I think that is probably a really good note to end on actually that's all we have time for today um, thanks so much to our panellists for joining us and everyone at home for listening to this episode of Sharp Scratch If you like our show, I'd love it if you could support us by leaving a review wherever you get your podcasts or by sharing it with the people you know. Tell your friends about us, that really helps people find the show. And if there's ever any topics you'd like for us to cover, do get in touch. We're BMJ Student on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. If you'd like to hear other episodes, subscribe to Sharp Scratch wherever you get your podcasts and in two weeks' time you'll be notified of our next episode. Until then, goodbye from us.